You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Mark's Gospel, We Begin in the Desert, recorded on April the 23rd, 2017. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, good to see everyone here that I can see today. Our text for today is in Mark chapter 1, and I could just jump right in there, um, I guess. But I have been away for a while, and it seems kind of odd just to jump right into the text. Now, if you're a first-time guest, um, for you, I have not. I've been away forever for you, because you're your first time. <laughs> but um, I really don't know what, how much I, I want to talk about what I've been going through over the last, since November. Um, not because I don't want to talk about it, but because I don't know if I can stop myself once I start that subject, you know. Um, but a word or two on returning here to, I was going to say the pulpit, we don't have a pulpit, we have a table, to the table from depression. Uh, depression is, is a real thing. We are body, we are animal as well as emotion and, and, and uh, will and mind. And you can't get away from the weakness of the vessel that carries you around. And I have good news for you guys. Most people will go through their entire life without ever being depressed. I'm not saying you won't have to know what it's like to be depressed because if someone very, very important to you dies, you'll know how depressed people feel. But depressed people feel that way without the event that goes with it, and it's, it's bewildering, it's difficult, it's, it's, it's tough, it, it, it's a, and it's a real thing, it's a real thing, and if you, if, if you have trouble understanding that, because you think, why don't you just snap out of it, I don't judge you for that, because it's hard to understand things you don't go through, but for those who have gone through such things, um, they'll testify, um, if I could just snap out of it, I would just snap out of it, and it's very difficult, and the way out... Um, uh, is through. And really, the way I was, however God wants it to be, I suppose. Um, if you're depressed, I tell you, the one rule I have for when I'm depressed is don't sin. Many times people's lives spin out of control when they're depressed because they go to, to find ways to make themselves feel good that aren't what God wants. And then things only get worse. Um, uh, Lots of directions to come to my mind, lots of things. I've, I've, read a, I've read a ton of books over the last several months. Whenever I'm feeling good enough to read, I read. And a lot of uh, Christians have gone through depression and written about it, and that's helpful. Um, Spurgeon, perhaps the most helpful, but he's not the only one. Um, uh, but one thing, if you take a person like me, who's, who's generally a quiet, shy introvert, Someone who normally gets energy from hanging out with people, for me, is just the opposite. I, I, uh, you can say, well, why is he hiding? Well, I wasn't really hiding. I just get nervous around too many people when, when I'm feeling depressed. And, and, and it's not like it happens all the time. This is, the, I'd call it the second major depressive episode of my life. First, it was in my 20s, to the point where I couldn't function normally. Right? That's what I mean. You can get a little depressed and function. Um, the first one was in my 20s, and I never expected to have to deal with this again. It was all behind me now, because I'm a mature Christian who has a handle on himself and his emotions and his life. Um, 
But so, so going to, to church uh, and saying hi to everybody, that's hard. It just makes me too nervous. It was make, I just couldn't do it. Um, and that's why uh, Big Fred sent out, hey, just leave the kid alone for a while, or the old man alone. I'm not really a kid anymore. Um, it wasn't for lack of want, me wanting to know you or hear that you care. And many of you sent cards and notes and letters that are going to be meaningful to me for the rest of my life. And you might say, well, why didn't you write back? Well, it was, it was just the energy wasn't going to be there. But, um, you know, the way out of depression, I have found in both cases, it looks like this. It is up and down. You think you're doing better, and then you step back. You think you're doing better, and you step back. You think you're doing better, and you step back. That's just the way it works. Um, but perhaps the one thing I want to make sure that you understand, since I believe that God has called me to be one of the pastors of this flock, um, I want to make sure you understand that nothing at all went wrong. Nothing went wrong. I am not a victim of things messing up. And if I never felt better again until the day I died, nothing is going wrong. God, I am and you are, if you know him, I am in his hands. Uh, you might say, well, how'd this happen? I, I guess I wasn't dealing with stress well last year for a whole year. There was a lot of very stressful events in my world, M- most of them associated with the church, some of them very personal. I lost my mother, um, as you know. Um, but then many of them associated with the church, and I thought I was handling them fine, like um, like a plumber who gets 10 phone calls. He's like, I can fix that pipe, 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 I'm good. Um, but I wasn't good, because apparently I wasn't handling it as well as I should, <laughs> and I didn't know it until everything fell apart. My daughter, who I can tell you because she's blogged on it, was, was uh, really struggling emotionally, and that hits a dad, and that was probably the final straw. But I, I, don't, I don't know. It, it, I don't know. I mean, you can stare at your navel for only so long. It's, you, you know what I mean? Only God knows what's in your heart. <laughs> I don't even know what's in my heart. But I know that God... This is very important for all of us to get. God is always good. There's never an exception to that. It doesn't mean you will always feel good. It doesn't mean loved ones won't die. It doesn't mean bad things won't happen to you or people won't treat you unjustly. God's always good. And God's been hammering me like a blacksmith hammers a a horseshoe. It's not the only way he teaches us, but the crucible is for silver, the furnace is for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. Look at those pictures the, the word gives us. A crucible is a place where you burn silver so hot that it melts into liquid. Furnace is for gold. I think if, 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 if the writer of Proverbs was from Pittsburgh, 
he'd say something about the furnace is for smelting iron into steel, you know, and you'd see the sparks flying. But the Lord tests the heart. He didn't say, the crucible is for marshmallows, (laughs) and the furnace is for Play-Doh, but the Lord tests the heart. It, 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 it is impossible not to stop loving this world and the things of this world without the help of God. And, and Hebrews 12.6 says what it says, and without apology, without, and I mean apology for God, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. James, which you've just recently studied, tells you how to handle all trials as, as if they're from the Lord. And God is, it's funny because though my feelings are at their lowest, for so long I became more convinced of the overwhelming volume of love that God has for me. And that doesn't make any sense at all. That should make you feel good when I feel horrible, but I'm more certain of his love. Um, As pastor of a church, I don't have to be the pastor of a church. It's up to him. Harvest, like all churches, belong to God. And I I serve at his pleasure, and it's my honor. I got to tell you, I I, I was very impressed. I I didn't stop going to church. I believe that seven hard days can make one week. The word church means assembly. We should always assemble whenever we can. I uh, was not in the building I'm standing in now. I was at the, the Freeport campus, which is uh, right now numerically our smallest campus. And the first week I was there, I snuck in, snuck out. I was like, hey, he's, whoa, there he goes. I just didn't want a bunch of people talking to me. But after a while, it was easier and easier. And um, I got I, I, I to tell you, I, it, it only, I look at it and I think what we're doing at Harvest is awesome. Because I never felt like I was in another church. I was at Harvest. I was at Harvest with Pastor Mike Harvey, the pastor. And, and now I wasn't as involved at the campus as I should be as a church member, right? If I'm going to be at that campus, I should be helping more and showing up for more stuff. But there's a time when anyone in a church is hurting and they need to heal. And so I wasn't as involved as I could be, but I was still, it was still church. It was still Harvest and I thought, man, this is a really cool thing to know, that um, somehow God has blessed us, and, 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 you know, the church universal meets all over the world throughout time, and we're all one gathering. And you can't pull that off in, in, in the physical realm. We have to wait for heaven, I guess, but in a way, we pull it off every single week at harvest in four places, and although... Uh, it, things are unique in, in Freeport, unlike Catanning or Indiana or PVC, but they're the same too. It's still harvest, and I'm so excited about that to know that we have four campuses where people have come in to the church through those four different doors, four different streams, and they're well-loved, well-pastored, given the opportunity to praise God and have a team of people to walk with. And I'm excited for more campuses, if God will give them to us, because I thought this is a good thing. And it's funny because there's so many people who want to criticize you, us for what we do. Trust me, they are. Especially when you're at the level of pastor, you talk to people, multi-site, you know, what's this? Hey, 
I don't care what the critics say. I don't care if they say we're doing a great job. And I don't care if they say we're doing a poor job. I don't, it matters nothing to me at all. I just want to hear the Savior say, well done. And I, I want you to hear that. It's great to see. Uh, when, when, I first, when I first went south, I, uh, I was talking with Big Fred, and he's been terrific. Um, and, and, and the elders have been terrific. But I said, look, why don't we just rotate two pastors? We don't need four people running through the, four or five people running through the doggone pulpit every week. And um, uh, for all you folks in Indiana, little Scotty's doing good, ain't he? <laughs> uh, boy, he's come a long way. And, of course, young Fred continues to just grow and you know you know what these men whether you notice it or not I notice it I'm sitting there listening to these sermons they are preaching the word a lot of people say they preach the word because they're preaching things that are true it's not the same thing to preach the word is when you read a text and you preach the text you read and they do that and and I I was fed by it every week just like you and kudos to to all who made that happen to to Matt, who, th- who did throw together the bumpers pretty fast, and um, boom, James. And, now, and so now we're in Mark. And some of you who remember can say, wait, we were in First Timothy. We were. We'll be back. I still have my finger there. But for now, um, I'm gradually wading back in. It's almost like to see, to see how it goes. You know, it's like you fixed a boat, and you want to see if it has any holes. You throw it on the boat. I'm the holy boat. I'm not the Holy Ghost. I'm the holy boat. And so, I guess we're all... And, 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 and I notice in the room here, for those of you not in the room, um, I don't know, has, has Friday night has, has picked up steam or people are waiting in case he cracks up after tonight. I want to see him the one time he comes out of the shell. I don't know why you're here. <laughs> this could be it. It's going to be the last shot. That's all his last sermon. <laughs> They're recording it. You could have come Sunday to one of the other campuses and seen it. But uh, Fred and I are going to work through the gospel mark together. You can say, oh, you one week, him one week. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. We got to work that out, all right? Um, But I'm not jumping in 100%. But I am jumping in. I do so by the grace of God, and God is good. How often? All the time. I have no doubt in the goodness of God. And nothing I've gone through has caused me to think that. Um, again, thanks for all your love. Uh, I thank God for my wife, who has been my, my very rock to stand on. I don't know how she handled these last few months herself, but there she is. Thank you guys for... Okay. Thank you guys for all your prayers. And, um, but this... This, that's enough for now. You want to talk to me later about this? Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. But I, God loves me, but this gathering isn't about me. We're here. We should come every time we come to worship to make Jesus the star and take a look at him. So let's look at him. Let's look at Mark. Open your Bibles, if you would, electronic or paper, to Mark chapter 1, 1 to 13. Mark chapter 1, the gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the end of the Bible, the New Testament, Mark chapter 1, we're going to go all the way from 1 to 13, start with verse 1, 
Because that's where you start. Ready? If you're ready to go, you got it open there. Mark 1, 1 to 13. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is how Mark starts his gospel. He gets right down to business. Here's the beginning of the gospel. Gospel is a religious word we use, but we should always remember that when it was first used, they stole it from non-religious word. It's not, you know, you know what I'm getting at? Um, in other words, the gospel meant the really great news. That's all he means. That's all it means, right? The really great news. The beginning of the really great news of who? Jesus. But there's a word after Jesus, Christ. And then there's the Son of God. Now, notice this isn't like the other three gospels at all. Um, Luke and Matthew both start with family histories. They're like, well, if I'm going to tell you about Jesus, I got to tell you who his grandfather was and his grandfather was and his grandfather was and his grand. We call those genealogies. And they have little Christmas stories, though they don't think they're Christmas stories. They're just kind of birth stories and there's all kinds of business. Mark didn't do any of that. John gets really freaky. He goes back to the beginning of everything. If you read John's gospel, he starts with, in the beginning, God. And you're like, wow, this is going to be heavy. Mark, Mark, is, he's, Mark is your friend who always just tells you, you know, this is it. This is it. Some of you married ladies have a husband like that, right? You want to talk about everything, and this guy, all he says is that. We're eating at six, you know, whatever. That's Mark. He says, this is the beginning of the joyful news or the, the gospel. What, is, what does he mean by the beginning then? If he's not going back to the beginning of time like John, he means the beginning of that three-year ministry of Jesus, the grown man on earth. He doesn't give anything before this. Not a thing. The beginning of that three-year ministry. Now, he, the, for him, he's saying from the point the world began to change forever in a way that it could never go back. And then he identifies Jesus, the man, by two titles. One, the Christ. Christ is a Greek uh, way of saying the Messiah for the Jews. Or the anointed one. The Savior. The one they've been waiting for. Right? So, Jesus is the one the prophets promised. So all these Jews, this whole sect of people, and all their religion, they've been waiting for one dude in one sentence. He says, he's here. But he also calls him the Son of God. And that title is more radical. They expected a Messiah. No one expected the Son of God to show up. Now, we're so uh, generally wishy-washy in our culture and, and really all over the world today. People like to say, well, aren't we all children of God? Aren't we all sons and daughters of God? The answer is No. You're not. You are creatures. You're humans. You're bipeds. You're homo sapiens. You walk around on a created earth as a created being. You're made of dust. You go back to dust. You cannot be a child of God. Like that, at least. It's a very radical title. The God, the God who made everything has a son? And he fits on the earth? Do you know how big the universe is? Think about it. If, the, if God really had a son and he put his foot on the earth, wouldn't the earth cease to exist? Mark says, yeah, this is the son. Now, he, he is not, Jesus is not the son of God because he was born to Mary. Because she 
can be mother only of a human being. Mary has no ability to be the mother of God. She can be the mother of a little boy. She can be the mother of a little girl. And by the way, she was mother of several people. The Roman church throughout history um, kind of... They, they, they ruined her Ancestry.com. If you look it up, it's all wrong now. She had several children. First was, was Jesus. The Bible teaches us she conceived by the Holy Spirit, though. There was not a man involved. Right? So, that's freaky. But she gave birth to a human. Which, by the way, Mary should never be referred to as the mother of God. She just should never, it's not true. She can't be the mother of God. She should also not be referred to as the queen of heaven. Some of you may have never heard that term. Uh, me, the way I grew up in, our, in the tradition my family had, she was called the queen of heaven. And I had this picture of her up there with a crown. I don't know what, she was telling the father what to do. Because that's, that's what the queen of heaven does. She tells the king what to do, you know. What, you guys stopped being realistic in the few months I was away? But she's not the queen of heaven. At, this, at the point of the birth of Christ, she'd never been there. And she's not the mother of God. You see, it's because the Holy Spirit of God came down and somehow impregnated her without any of the crude things that you might think. You know, just, he just did it miraculously. And the spirit of Jesus came into this baby See, Jesus existed forever as God before he took on a body. The Son of God, that term matters here. Mark's going to use it several times. Because if you are the Son of God, it means you are made of the same stuff as God. This is why the Roman church turned around through history and tried to make Mary of the same stuff as God. To deify her. Because they're trying to say, we've got to match this. Okay, she didn't sin either. She ascended too. Well, that's crap. Jesus is the Son of God is an unapologetic claim that he has all the qualities of God. And Mark is making it. The whole Bible makes it. And there are still many people who say, I believe Jesus taught great things. I just don't think he's God. They, they can say that. You, they can say they don't believe. But make no mistake, it's what the Bible teaches, that he is God. If you're someone's son, you're made of the same stuff. The father had no beginning. Did Jesus have a beginning? Absolutely not. Father knows everything. Does Jesus know everything? Absolutely. Father can be everywhere at once. Can Jesus be everywhere at once? Yes. Father's completely holy. So Jesus is completely holy. The father's the judge of all flesh. Jesus is the judge of all flesh. The father created everything. Jesus created everything. And the Bible teaches it clearly all over the place. Many people say, well, wait, wait, wait. It sounds like there are multiple gods. The Bible teaches us that there is one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And someone could say, well, if you're saying there's one God and three persons, aren't you saying that would be multiple gods? How can that be? My answer to that is, why shouldn't it be so? What's, what's the problem with that? Well, three persons, one God. That don't make sense to me. Oh, so if it doesn't make sense to your little pea brain, it's God, for goodness sake. If he says that's what he's like, he's the only one, that's what he's like. 
So Mark's introduction of, of Jesus is this. He's like, this is the beginning of the Jewish Messiah who also happens to be God over everybody. And he's, he wants to talk about that three-year gospel ministry of Jesus. That ministry really begins after a couple of preliminary events. Right? Like you get up in the morning, you don't just charge to your car and go to work if you have a job and a car. Right? You're there, you're there in, your, in your underwears, you haven't brushed your teeth, you look horrible, you smell horrible, and you're driving to work. You don't do that. You do preliminaries. You brush your teeth, you get dressed, you eat your little breakfast, and then you get to your car and you drive to work. Well, there's preliminaries, much more important than brushing your teeth, although that is important, boys and girls. <laughs> don't want to give the children the wrong impression. And Mark is just as quick with getting to those as he is with getting to who Jesus is. So let's look at that. Verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah, Isaiah, the prophet, Isaiah is how the British say it. I just thought I'd be British for half a second. I'm back now. (laughs) As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, the voice of one Crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight his path. That one who is sent is John the baptizer. We call him John the Baptist, and that's okay, but he was never in a denomination called Baptist. He is the John the baptizer, right? He, I send my messenger before your face. Before Jesus is going to show up, before Messiah comes, I'm going to send someone, the prophets say, who will prepare your way. Whose way? The Lord's way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. What's he crying? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And then there it is in verse 4. No explanation of who this guy is. Just there it is because this is how Mark talks. John appeared. Woo! Baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem. Judea if you see it and you want to know how to interpret that word in the Bible, it means wherever the Jews are living generally, but especially the area around Jerusalem, but it could be anywhere in Israel where the Jews are living. So all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair, wore a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. It's not in here, but he also never cut his hair. So he's out there looking like some kind of Rasta man, right? Rastaman vibration, yeah. You know, he's, he just looks like one. He never smoked a spliff. Look it up. It's in the Bible. <laughs> some of you are saying, can we have Fred or Scott back? No, it's too late. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey, which sounds just horrible to me. And he preached saying, he preached, if you're in paper Bible, that's a good word to underline, after me comes he who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, John the baptizer is a big deal, and Mark starts with him, and so we're going to look at him. I think he's, he's really cool. Um, he fulfills Scripture. He comes in fulfillment of Scripture. Not a lot of people can say that. The Bible said I'd come, right? The Bible said I'd be here. How many of you, um, your mom said, I was reading the Bible, and it said, hey, Jeannie's going to be here. And that, no, no. 
But John came in fulfillment of Scripture. And his mission is in the Scriptures. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. And he does it by declaring. Right? He's crying out. It's preaching. And what he's supposed to do is make things ready for Jesus. He goes ahead of Jesus and gets things ready and makes his path straight. Now, when you think of that kind of terminology, make his path straight, it sounds like road construction, right? Like Jesus is going to take a long time to get here if he has to take a curvy road. Could you straighten out his path? Well, well, that's if you take it literally. It's not. It's figurative language. Jesus' path does not need to be straightened. So what's he talking about? The crooked hearts of the people he's coming to need to be straightened. Because that's a, that's a physical p- picture, but it's a figurative idea that God, the Messiah is coming to the hearts of the Jews, and their hearts are crooked. Straighten out those paths so it's a straight way in. Messiah always walks straight. Jesus always knows where he's going. The question is, when he gets to his people, the Jews... Will they be ready to receive him? You know, Messiah is coming. Are you ready to meet him? That's John's point. There was a bumper sticker once I saw that says, Jesus is coming, look busy. (laughs) Which I think is funny. You don't. That's okay. You don't have as good a sense of humor as me, but maybe one day you will. But in seriousness, if you read the end of the Gospels, you'll see Jesus gave a lot of messages about his second coming, saying, when I come back, you better be ready. Well, John, that's John's message. Now, the means of getting, what's it mean to get these people's hearts straight? What's that mean? It means they got to stop their, their lying. They got to stop their not paying the workers what they should pay them. They got to stop um, their, their two-time and on their boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband. They got to stop their, 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 their drunkenness. They got to stop their, their they just got to stop their bad ways. They got to straighten up. They got to stop worshiping false gods. They got to look back at the law that God gave them and say, I'm committed to living right. That is called repentance. Okay, that's what repentance is. It's deciding that you are going to live the way God wants, which means saying no to the way I live. If any here, here's the problem we have. Americans, we all think we're pretty good. We really struggle with repentance because we don't think we're that bad. Trust me, you're that bad compared to God. You just haven't seen it yet. Have you ever had that experience in your life where you did something bad and it didn't bother you and then you got caught and all of a sudden you said to yourself, I can't believe how bad that is. Ever had that happen? That's going to happen when the Lord returns. All those sins you thought were no big deal, you're going to go like, oh my word. Repentance is deciding I'm leaving behind my sin and I'm going to go God's way. And I want you to see that the means of getting to that repentance is preaching. God sent a man to cry out, to proclaim, to preach. I'm always ready for a fight when I run into these really smart Christians. And they've come around every decade I've been alive who say, well, preaching isn't really what the church is all about. The most important thing is that we feed the poor. We should feed the poor. But you can feed the poor. But if you don't preach, the poor go to hell. The same is true of all times this very day. 
Now, you may not be living in Israel in the first century, and the Messiah is coming around the corner. But i got news for you, and you can write this down. You can write this down, because it's the first thing in your map. <laughs> Jesus is coming straight at you. It's like a heart song. Straight on for you, baby. But is the path to your heart straight? It's time to clean up your heart by getting rid of your sins with sex, drugs, stealing, violence, cruelty, lying, and I just stopped listening to them. You can think whatever else you got, envy, whatever you do. It's time to clean up your life. It's time to turn from sin. Listen, one of the biggest travesties of preaching, and one of the biggest travesties, and I mean this, is that preaching, most of the time, most preaching I hear, not counting on TV, which tell you they're just going to make you rich, which is a bunch of crap. If you're sending money to Cornerstone Television, you're dumb. Okay? Just want you to know that. You say, you call me dumb. No, only if you just don't tell anybody you do it. (laughs) They won't know. But the other kind of preaching is the legitimate, not Cornerstone Television type weirdos. There may be one or two good ones on there, but. Is in a regular, good, suburban American church. Most of preaching is therapeutic moralism. It's here to tell you how you can live a little more morally straight and and now make you feel a little better. I ain't got no time for that. Neither does the Bible. You gotta stop sinning. I don't know why that's so hard. There's so many people say, I'm a Christian. I live with my so-and-so friend. Oh yeah, and, and, and that's okay with you? You got to repent. I'm a Christian, but I I hate black people. And that's all right with you? You got to repent. Now, very important to note, deciding to clean up your life and turn your back on sin, repentance, that's what it is, that's not the goal. That's only... The first step, the step that always comes with faith. Let me put it another way. (laughs) The goal is to receive the Messiah. Imagine a woman prepares her home for a special guest. She works hard preparing it. She even goes to the store and buys extra stuff. She watches JoJo on HGTV and gets new ideas. And she actually cleans everything and she gets her family to clean everything. And the whole house is ready for the special guest. She says, this place looks great. Yeah. Special guest coming in. You ain't coming in here. The goal, I thought, was to welcome the guest. Apparently, it's just to get the house ready. Repentance is not the goal. Cleaning up your act is not the goal. It's not the goal. It's like a kid on Christmas Eve saying, you better go to bed because if you want them presents in the morning, you got to go to sleep. Going to sleep is not the goal. It might be for the parents in the immediate moment, but... (laughs) The best part comes later. Many people confuse Christianity with just being good. You're blowing this thing. You choose to repent of your sin so that you can have the prize. And John's ministry is to say, get ready, stop sinning, he's coming, and he's got the great news that you're going to want to hear. John's very unique. 
excuse me, I, I made it a personal thing with myself that I just broke to never put an adjective in front of the word unique. So if you ever catch me doing that, yell out, don't say that. Because unique means one of a kind. So he's not very unique, he's just unique. Well, I just did it again. Just unique doesn't work either. <laughs> Can I show you one, two, three, four, five ways he's unique? One, he doesn't preach in town. He doesn't preach in town. He's out in the desert. I have been where he was. There's a couple of places you can go to in Israel where they think uh, John dunk people. The first one is all done up and it's got plaques and things. Glenn Beck put some money so he has a plaque there and everything. And that ain't where it happened. It's in the wrong spot. The other one is out by where Jericho used to be. That's the spot. And they got a little thing there too. But I want you to know what else is around there. How about nothing? What if you needed sheets? They don't have that. What if you need a green blade of grass? Except for what's by the water, they don't have that. You've got to drive miles and miles and miles to get back to Jerusalem to find anything. Or you can go to Jericho, which they don't let you in. They're afraid you get shot, but we did try. There's nothing out there. Now imagine you walk. <laughs> he was out of town. Why would he preach out of town? They got that great big temple where they do all the religious stuff. If you want to, that's where Jesus taught. Jesus went right to the temple in Jerusalem lots of times. John's not going to where all the religious stuff goes down. He's out of town. What the heck for? It's an indictment on the religion of the Jews. It's an indictment on the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the unbelief of the Sadducees who run it. Your religion's polluted. The good preaching, you have to go out of town. By the way, the same is true throughout Christian history and even today. Many people say, well, I don't see why there are so many denominations. I do. Denominations are always going to be here. We're always going to splinter. Why? Because the first generation loves the gospel, gets it right. God does a work. Second generation kind of loves the gospel, gets it right. Third generation just did what the last one did. Fourth generation forgets Jesus and says, we got to do it this way every year because that's the way we do it every year. And, <laughs> and you're going to get somebody says, well, we need Jesus. They'll say, get out of the church. You're not for him. And boom, he plants another church or a den- another denomination. And that's kind of what's happening. John is in the wilderness a second unique thing is unlike Jesus, John was a celebrity all his life. Something to keep in mind. Jesus' coming to the earth was obscure. Our Christmas story, and the way we've mythologized the events of the Christmas story, I'm not saying it's myth, I'm saying the way we handle it, we add mythological stuff. The three-sided barn, the star overhead. Um, those who weren't there on his birthday. <laughs> um, Kid with a drum playing in the nursery. Trust me, Mary would have clocked him. (laughs) Jesus snuck in. He snuck in. He was a peasant. The only one who knew Jesus came was his family. And it wasn't just Mary and Joseph, whichever family they were staying with, whatever house they were at. And since there was nobody to herald this guy, Jesus... Or God sent angels to some minimum wage workers on a hill and said, could you at least come down and let them know that this is a big deal? And then they went away, and then Jesus and his family took off. 
for Egypt. He just kind of slithered in, slithered out. But John was different. John came and his dad was a priest. <laughs> and an angel did a miracle. And the whole city knew it because he was at the temple and he couldn't talk. And all these things, if you want to read about it, read about it. In one of the other gospels, it's there. And it says, everyone around Jerusalem was buzzing and saying, what sort of child will this be? And they wanted to know. Elizabeth and um, 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 name, name of dad. It's just, it's there. Who? Zechariah, thank you. Um, what, who's your, you know, how's your, what's your kid going to grow up to be? Uh, who's, he looks like Tarzan and eats bugs. We don't know what he's going to turn out to be. Everybody knew John. Everybody around knew John. Nobody knew who Jesus was. He dressed funny. People want to know what he was going to say. Funny though, after this, he becomes less important and Jesus becomes more important. But up to this point, he's the one. Third unique thing is John was a great preacher. There's no question he's a great preacher. People want to hear him preach. How do I know? Like I said, they didn't have cars. You're making that trip in the desert. You're bringing water. You're bringing food. You're expecting to stay over that night out in the wilderness by the river and then journey back home to hear the sermon. And that said they were coming from all over Jerusalem and all over Judea. Trust me, they ain't coming for some wimpy kind of sermon. They want a little bit of fire and brimstone. He was getting it. The axe is laid at the trees. And the Pharisees would show up and he'd say, Who warned you scoundrels to run from the wrath to come? People came from, even Roman soldiers came to hear him preach. He was more than just a curiosity. He, what, he was effective. After he preached to people, mostly Jews, what did they do? According to our text, they confessed their sins and were baptized by him. Now that's some good, that's powerful preaching. If you can get people to stand up, walk to where you are, say out loud, I have sinned in this way. Oh, for the Holy Spirit. To do that work in America, because American churches always oh, seem to get us people saying, well, I made a few mistakes. But they, he had them coming into the water saying, I confess I sin. Dunk me. <laughs> he ain't no therapeutic moralist. But he couldn't have been a jerk when people wouldn't have listened. So he was powerful. People wanted to hear him preach. Fourth unique thing is the way he baptized. The Jews didn't baptize like that. There's no record of Jews that, that I know of, that I've found, where they took you and shoved you under the water. There were ceremonial cleansing things they did. Why this? Why this? And why, why, why in the Jordan? Why in the wilderness? I don't have time, but I do want to tease you with saying, that the wilderness here is a big deal. Because Jews, I'm just going to throw it out there without too much explanation, became the child of God. Figuratively, the nation of Israel became the child of God by leaving Egypt and going into the wilderness. Staying there 40 years till they stopped sinning, they became faithful. And then he crossed what river? Jordan. Attacked what town? Jericho. 
right? So now we're back out in the wilderness at the Jordan again. And there is no question that this is a motif that Mark is trying to get across. Last way I want to point out that he's unique was he said, as amazing as I am, someone more impressive is on the way. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay, verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. And Nazareth was nowhere near Jerusalem. It was way up at the top of the, of the country. And it was a nothing town. I mean, it's like being from, if you're, some of you may know this, Yellow Dog. Many of you say, I don't even know where Yellow Dog is. Exactly. It's, <laughs> for those of you at the other campuses, the person from Yellow Dog has laughed out loud right now. And there's people going, where does she live? <laughs> that's Jesus' hometown. There's nothing about Nazareth that's, that's remarkable, even to this day. It, the only reason people can find it now is because the Catholics put a church on it later so you could visit it. Out of the obscure place of Nazareth, Jesus comes and he's baptized by John in the Jordan. I want more details. Read the other Gospels. Mark ain't going to give them to you. <laughs> and when he came out of the water, immediately... He saw the heavens being torn. Who saw? This is hard to say exactly who the he is. This could be John. This could be Jesus. I think it's John because we're told that that God told John, the one you see the dove descend upon, that's the one. Which would be wild because it's his cousin. So he he knew him. You know, he knew him. Whenever they were family get-togethers, John and Jesus were at the same place. Right? They were at the kids' table together. You know, Jesus is having his little lamb fingers and French fries or whatever they used to have, Palestinian fries. And John had his bowl of bugs. You know, they played together. They played tag, stuff like that. And he didn't know until he sees this dove come down. He goes, whoa, baby, who knew? I should have figured. I should have figured you never got in trouble. But it could have been Jesus seeing it, but I think it's that, that he is referring to John. He saw the heavens torn open and a spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven, a voice came from heaven, and this voice was for anyone who could hear with their audible ears. A very rare thing when God will speak where you can hear audibly except through the vocal cords of Jesus. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. The spirit Okay, you've been baptized, out to the wilderness you go. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And you might like, well, let's talk about those temptations. Mark doesn't, I'm not gonna. You can read them in the other Gospels. Or two of the other Gospels. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. All right, Jesus, son of God. Why did he come out to see John? Why did he come out to see John? Is that I understand why all those Jews need to come out and see John. I understand why I would need to come out to see John. If Jesus was coming, I would, I would love that little warning flare. Come out, repent, Jesus is coming around the corner. If you knew Jesus was going to be at your house when you get home. <laughs> some of you are like, can I go there first? There's some things i got to throw away. You know, you'd like some warning. <laughs> i got to change. i got to clean myself. Jesus is coming next week. I have one week to really clean up. But why does Jesus have to go see John? He didn't sin. The answer is he came out to identify 
with you and me and all people to identify, to do what the sinners did. And for a reason. He came to join us. Hi, I'm God. I've come to join you. What are you doing? Okay, let's write this down. Though he had no need to repent, by being baptized, he showed that where it mattered most, the removal of our sins, he was ready to lay down under the water. That, that's death. The picture of going to the water is death. Coming out is life. He didn't sin, but he was willing to die for us. What was this except the foreshadowing of the cross where the sinless Savior would lay down his life and take away the sins of the world? My friends, there's no way to heaven except through Christ. Two times in the last week, I've heard someone say the common refrain, but you never think you're really going to hear them say it, but two times, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. What they really mean is, I got no idea what's true, but I don't want to say there's no God because I think he's there. But I just think all that Christian mumbo-jumbo is just worthless. And I'm sorry for that. But the reality is, apart from the blood of Christ being shed for you, you have no path to heaven because your sin will always keep you away from God because God is not going to fellowship, make his home with a sinner. But Christ takes away those sins on the cross. He's a sinless one, and he came to die for us. So he goes and he's baptized. Beautiful thing about this text. You can see that the whole Trinity is on display, isn't it? You have Jesus, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit of God comes down, and the sky opens up, and the Father himself speaks. And what does the Father say? Think about what God says when he talks out loud on the earth, one of the few times he does that. What does he have to say when he's looking at Jesus? When he looks down from heaven, he could talk about anything. Look at that mountain goat I made. Look at that squirrel. Look at anything. He made it all. But he doesn't. He focuses on his son, the most amazing thing down there, and he says, I love this guy. I am well pleased. It's his, I am filled with pleasure toward him. This is what every son or daughter wants from their parents, a blessing, to know that their parents see them accurately and are delighted in them. And here's the father looking at the son, and he says, I take great pleasure in him. All this comes, now look how Mark's putting this. He says, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he's, he's showing these as preliminaries. Well, this is the endorsement of God, the Father himself. What this man is about to do over the next three years, I have stamped approved. As I have stamped him approved. The work that Jesus would do on earth is the very work of God. And the main point, and this is my closing point, and if you're a first-time visitor, Sit up straight. Closing point doesn't mean we're going to be done in two minutes. (laughs) I think the main work of God is to show you God's love. All that fire and brimstone preaching of John was to get you ready for God's love. Many people stumble over this. They say, I hear you, but you know what? I know a lot of people who are morally better than Christians. Well, by our standards, I do too. They call them Mormons. Yeah, how can you keep up with those people? <laughs> Heck, look at how they, they, you know they brush their teeth four times a day. I mean, you got atheists saying, I don't have to believe in God to be good. Well, by my standards, you're right. You may be better than me. 
And they, tr- they, they trip over the idea that all we're supposed to do is repent and be good. That's not the point. The point is God loves you, even though you're not good. He's not asking you to repent so you become something he loves. Let me put it that way. God doesn't ever ask anyone to repent so you turn good so he can love you. He's saying, I, if you want me, you have to want goodness. If you want me, you're going to have to want righteousness. You don't have it, but you're going to have to want it because that's what I am. And he sent Jesus to show his love. Now, God's love for the Son is infinite. God loves God as much as anyone can love anyone. There is no one who has greater love for anyone than God has for God. God loves the Son. And all that God requires His Son to do is good for His Son. Because everything God does is good, and He's good to all creatures that He makes. So His Son's journey as a human being is going to involve great suffering. Tremendous suffering, but it's going to be for His good. As the Bible will say, Who for the joy set before Him endured the shame of that cross. He loves his son, but there's more. Now, pay attention to this phrase because it's confusing a little bit. Ready? But I've rearranged it three or four times, and I can't make it any better than this. So you're stuck with it. Ready? God pours his love for the son on us through the son. Should I repeat it? God pours his love for the son on us through the son. The goal of the big picture of what God is doing in the world is so that you can hear the words of God say, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. And he doesn't say a little less than Jesus. No, God's love that he has for Jesus, he wants to pour out on you, and he does it, but he does it through Jesus, not apart from him. You see, Jesus joins us on this dusty globe, made of the dust like we are, He joins us on this earth. He is forever. And he takes on a body that can get scabs and get hurt and die and turn to dust. He he joins us here. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? Because God wants you to join Jesus on the new earth where nobody dies. He identifies with us here so we can identify with him there. He bears our temptations. He goes out in the wilderness and Satan gives him all he's got in this world. which he couldn't do is the spirit of God. You cannot tempt God. But he became a man and he allowed the devil. What an insulting, horribly, horribly insulting thing Satan did to tempt Jesus Christ. And yet he did it. And, 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 and Jesus, he lowered himself and took that humiliation. Why? Why did he do that? So that he could be here with us where we're tempted so that we could be there one day where there is no temptation at all. He takes our sins on his innocent body on the cross and dies just like we die so that he can give us the joyful life of having no sin. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. It's magic. You say, could you explain that to me? No, but I can tell you it's true. I don't know how it works. It just works. It's mystical. It's wild. It's cool. It's amazing. 
God treated his son like a criminal so he could treat criminals like his son, and you are the criminal. Don't get into your head. God, of course God loves us so much. Look how lovable I am. Get that out of your head. That's your self-deception. He treats his beloved son like a criminal so he can treat his enemies like his beloved son. And, and he takes on to his body, the Bible says, our weaknesses. Everything weak in your body, he takes it on on the, on the cross. Who has arthritis? Who has depression? Who has OCD? Who has, give me some of these other letters, ADHD, um, bipolar? Who, who's, who's got rheumatoid arthritis? Who has brain tumors? Who has, who has a receding hairline? I don't care what it is. He died and he rose. And when he rose, he rose in a body that cannot decay, that cannot be tempted, and that is perfect in every way, so that you can. Why? Because God loves you. As a man, he receives the full pleasure of the Father for all he is and all he does, and we receive the full pleasure of the Father because of him. John came preaching, repent of sin for judgment is coming. Be ready for the Messiah or die in your sins. And I want to declare to you, with all my heart. <laughs> that you're in that doggone same situation now, folks. You may feel like everything's going to work out because we got Trump elected. Ain't going to work. Ain't going to work. This world, we know where it's going. It's going to man, exalting man. Above. Look at this crazy place. And you'd better repent of your sins. And I'm talking to the church. Because I, I just know. I know from experience. I know from experience. Half the people in the church, I don't think are going to be in heaven. Harvest Community Church. They like church, like God. But they don't want him to be their Lord. They like the show. It's a good show. And I'm telling you, if that's you, you'd better confess your sin and get right because the Messiah is going to come back and he's going to come faster than you think he is. And then that's it. And ain't no lawyers, ain't, ain't no it's not fair. But with that, that that's John's message and I, and I hold to that. But I don't want you to forget Jesus' message because did you notice that the Bible says Jesus came preaching to, he came preaching the gospel. Jesus was a preacher. And what he said was, come to me for forgiveness of sins. I'll give it to you. Are you thirsty? I got a drink. Are you hungry? I'll give you food. So the other half of that message. Look, the cross is the highest expression of the love of God. That's the, that's, you want a major theme of the Bible. That's it. A major theme. If you think you're a Bible scholar and you wouldn't have answered what's, well, how do we know God loves us? Right away saying the cross is the expression of his love. Then you don't know the Bible. So write it down. God shows his love for us. How? With rainbows and unicorns and a Starbucks on every corner. No. And while we were still sinners, Christ died. That's how he shows his love. 
Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, shall we not be more saved? You can read the rest. From the wrath of God. Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's who you were, dead. Spiritually. Among whom we all, not me, I'm good. No, you ain't. Among whom we all once lived. In the, well, I was saved when I was four at VBS. Well, I don't care. You still had a Satan heart when you were three. We just couldn't tell because you were so doggone cute. <laughs> Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, why? Because of the great love with which he loved us. What motivated God to send Jesus? Some of you have been trained to say, he did it for his glory, not for us. Would you shut up with that? Give the Bible answer. Not the Westminster Catechism answer. Yeah, it's for his glory. But what the Bible says is he did it because of the great love with which he loved you. But you said, I'm a sinner. I know. He's awesome like that. So I get to sneak into heaven and sit in the back? No, no, no. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Did you know that God loves you so that he can spend eternity showing you more? Wait, you thought yesterday was good? We'll see what I got in touch with you for tomorrow. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And I love this next line, and so we are. We're not just called the children of God, we are the children of God. It all comes back to love. The whole Bible is a story of God saying, I love you. That's from beginning to end. You may not feel it, I'm, I prayed for you before I preached that the Holy Spirit would just open up your heart to actually just feel loved. I don't know if he will or you will. I don't know. That's the whole Bible. It's the whole story. He loves you. He loves me. He, lo- he adores me. He's wild about me. And you might say, especially if you see me sometimes in traffic, you ain't worth it. I don't care what you say. He loves me. You all can say, well, I hate you. Well, I won't like that. But I don't. Does it really matter what you think? He loves me. You were just depressed for so many months. He loves me. He would make his own son be depressed? Don't you read the Bible? It's in Job. I made alligators. You couldn't figure that out either. So why are you wasting your time trying to figure out why he makes his own son depressed? Get over it. He would make his own child go through what I have to go through? Yes. Could you explain that to me? Yeah, I can. He made starfish. He made dandelions, the prettiest flower in the world that make this cool globe, and you just call them weeds. That's your explanation. If you can't figure out a dandelion, why do you think you're going to be able to figure out God? Just trust me. He loves you. He loves you. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.